0: When you gotta love and it's good
1: like it should be Makes you never wanna give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you
0: Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning?
1: We're talking today about loving everyone, and that's the name of this beautiful book that I've been reading called Love Everyone, The Transcendent Wisdom of Niam Karoli Baba Told You the Stories of the Westerners Whose Lives He Transformed. And this is by a, a wonderful author who I've just met, Parvati Marcus, who is coming to us from beautiful southern Florida. And let me tell you a little bit about her. She has been midwifing spirituality-oriented nonfiction books and memoirs as a substantive editor and writer since her first efforts with Ram Dass' Dass's classic "Be Here Now" book. Uh, she has edited and has published. She's been ed- she's edited and has been published by among others. Hay House, Inner Traditions, Simon and Schuster, Contemporary McGraw Hill, and Lotus Press. She collaborated on three books and two guidebooks in *The Journey of the Box*, remembering the gift. She has also helped with spiritual organizations as past presidents and doing a lot of work in um, even in Taos, New Mexico. And she's worked on events as a development consultant for the Global Peace Initiative of Women's Religious and Spiritual Leaders held at the UN in Geneva, Switzerland. Parvati has two sons and three granddaughters and lives in South Florida, with a very particular cat. (laughs) So uh, we're just thrilled to have you join us, Barvati. Thank you so much for coming to us all the way from Florida this morning.
2: Hi, Mari. Thanks. It's it's wonderful to be here with you. So this
1: is an interesting book with lots of stories and interviews. So tell us how you got into this and decided to write this book.
2: Well, I decided to write the book for a couple of reasons. The main one uh, being that we're getting older. I hate to admit it, but it's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, those of us who were, you know, out and about in the 60s and early 70s in India um, aren't that young anymore. And we decided it was time to start gathering our stories and archiving them, you know, before the inevitable. Yep. So uh, <laughs> that was that was, you could say, the prime motivating factor. And also, we all love to hear Maharaji stories. Mm. And um, I mean, I was very blessed to be able to go around, and I interviewed over seventy people, uh, all Westerners who had been in India during that time with Neem Karoli Baba. Mm. So um it was fabulous.
1: <laughs> yeah. So were you into meditation back in the 60s? I remember the one of the things that we did in in mm-hmm. our apartment was we had um the Maharishi. We had the um we learned transcendental meditation. Right. Right. And we were very much into that. I would have loved to go to India, but I didn't uh I it wasn't in the cards at that time. You know? Right. Well, in
2: 1969, I met Ramdas and it was an extraordinary meeting. He was living at his father's farm in, in New Hampshire at the time, having come back from his first trip to India. And I met a guy at a party. Hey, it was the 60s. Right. And he said, you want, you want to go meet a saint? I said, sure. I've never met a saint. Right. <laughs> and uh we, we drove to uh from Vermont down to New Hampshire and drove up the driveway and Ramdas was standing outside the house wearing his white dress and his bare feet and his white beard and doing his mala, you know, round and round. And I looked at him and I saw light coming from him, hmm. and I, uh, I hadn't dropped anything. I hadn't smoked anything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I saw light coming from him, and uh, I moved in the next day uh, to this small group of, of people that were sort of living on his father's farm for the summer and became his secretary very quickly, and uh, that was it. I was, uh, And I wanted to go and get what he had, where he had gone and get what he had gotten. <laughs> right, right. And so I spent the next year and a half working to make enough money to go to India.
1: Hmm. So what uh, was your life like, um, you know, before you encountered Eastern philosophy, and, and how, how did that um, really change?
2: Well, I grew up in a totally non-religious household. I mean, uh, we were culturally Jewish. I mean, bagel—I thought bagels and lox in the New York Times was being Jewish. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, I, when I—I I had always wanted something, I was pulled to something more than that. I mean, I was sent to um, Sunday school briefly, but when I came home and I wanted my parents to start lighting candles, they pulled me out. you know, (laughs) and uh, in college, I mean, I was an English major, and I read, you know, a gazillion things, and I took courses in the Bible, because I wanted to learn about that, and um, I had an interest in it, but I didn't really have a belief, right? and then I um, was living with a group of early hippies on a farm in New Mm -hmm. Hampshire one summer uh, in 1969, actually. And somebody came around and put a little orange pill on everybody's plate after dinner. (laughs) And and I had my first acid trip. And I went directly into the space of oneness. Mm -hmm. And it was an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. And when I came down from that trip, somebody handed me the Tibetan Book of the Dead, Oh yep, yeah. and I looked at that and I went, you know, my God, that's a manual for what I just went through.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, that started me. Yeah. You know, uh, three weeks later I met Ramdas. Wow, and I wouldn't have been able to appreciate or understand or get what was going on with Ramdas if I hadn't had that trip.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So then you, you, yeah, yeah, you, you know, that was an interesting time, you know, so different Mm. from the kids nowadays, you know, we all went through that. I mean, I can really relate to the, the, you know, all that you experienced and what I experienced right. at that time, that kind of awakening and that kind of um, searching for spirituality. You remember, I mean, even the Beatles were doing that. Remember, mm-hmm. they went through the same thing and this they were our contemporaries at the time, a little bit older. But basically, they were the, that was what we were going through is searching. I remember the one of the books that I, I stayed up and read when I finished my finals, I guess my junior year was Siddhartha, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yes. So I mean that uh, was the that was the mindset that we all had in searching right. and trying to find things and it was a time that we were all looking for peace and looking for right um some really important things. And I think our generation uh really uh still has that that, that desire for mm-hmm. the spirituality and um, those of us who experience that. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us a little bit about that trip to, to India. What about your culture shock? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people
2: ask about that. The culture shock was coming back to the West. Mm. Uh, going to India, I, I felt like I had been there forever. I, I, especially once I got up north in India rather than down south, because they're sort of different. And, um, I, I felt like I looked like them. I felt like I, I, I just, I felt like I fit right in. I did not have culture shock in India. Hmm. When we came back a year later, (laughs) yes, yes, you know, I remember, um, I I had left India at the same time as Ram Das, and uh, uh, you know, about seven of us flew out together, and we landed in London on our way back. And uh, it was a time when women were wearing hot pants—these like neon-colored hot pants—and <laughs> <laughs> we all stood on a corner with our jaws dropped down to the floor. You know, <laughs> I hadn't seen above a woman's ankle in a year. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then trying to live in the west you know and hold on to what we had gotten in india was was very difficult right you know so, I remember my mother-in-law, my new mother-in-law, gave me a gift of a beautiful pair of leather gloves, and it was like, oh, leather! I can't <laughs> wear leather! <laughs> Sacred cows! You know? Right, right. <laughs> oh, my
1: goodness. Yeah, so so you were mostly with Hindu people around there, right? I mean, that's that's the... the... Well, uh,
2: there were a lot of West- Westerners. You know, there was sort of a group of us uh, Westerners that sort of fluctuated, you know, from day to day, actually. And, um, but we spent a lot of time with, uh, Maharaji's Indian devotees. Mm-hmm. And we were just taken in as family. I mean, it was just wonderful. It was yes. a wonderful experience.
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, I've been to Bali where it's all Hindu. Mm. Right. And, um, very, very sweet. Very sweet people. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the, you know, the, the Hindu religion was so welcoming and so loving. And uh, so that's what I was thinking. Now, right. tell us about your guru and um, your first impression and what,
2: what all that was like. Well, I'll tell you an interesting first impression, <laughs> which <laughs> I had several years before I actually met him physically, which is I met him through a photograph. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Again, we're having to go back to, uh, after that summer in 69 with Ram Dass, I was visiting a college friend in New York and we split a tab of acid and it split all on my side. <laughs> and I went through some very intense things. And the next day I was back home and I was still going through some things and they were getting a little frightening. And I had this little black and white picture of Maharaji that Ram Dass had given me. And I just sat in front of it going, I'm scared, and you've got to help me. That was my mantra, <laughs> I'm scared, and right, you've right. got to help me. Right. And suddenly the photo sort of dissolved in blue light, and I saw him there. Hmm. And it was just like a second, you know, uh, seconds. But it was enough for me to know he was there and that everything was Okay. So after that, needless to say, I got a larger picture. <laughs> and I did everything in my life in front of that picture. I used to talk to it all the time. Mm. And, uh, I, and periodically I would see him in there, even without any drugs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I got to India finally, and I was finally in his physical presence, One of the first things he said to me was, and I mean, I didn't tell anybody about this. You don't tell people you talk to pictures.
1: Right, right. Yeah,
2: right. (laughs) (laughs) They say, Uh, what were you on? (laughs) Yeah, right. What were you on? So anyway, he looks at me and he goes, you used to ask many questions. Oh. And he he said, you know, you used to talk to my photo. You asked many questions. (laughs) So it was like he totally verified yeah. uh, you know that we had been having this connection for these years
1: mm.
2: and that he was there and that he knew everything about me mm. which he kept reinforcing over and over again i mean it was a, it was extraordinary to sit in front of somebody that you know knows absolutely everything about you and still loves you totally unconditionally
1: mm.
2: I mean, that's such a liberating experience, you know, that you're worthy of being loved no matter what you got going on.
1: Yeah. And and to teach you that, you mm. know, is, is so beautiful so that you can do the same for others. Right. Is well, the teaching so was amazing. in his
2: being. I mean, the only teaching quote he did, I mean, was, constantly telling us subek which meant it's all one <laughs> yeah yeah or saying you know love everyone feed everyone remember god yeah. and tell the truth that was the whole of the teaching right the teaching was actually in those sort of personal moments when you'd be going through something and he would Either like not throw you a banana and you would suddenly feel totally left out or miserable or something. Hmm. <laughs> and you'd see all your desires, you would see all your impurities, and they would all be held within the light of his love.
1: Hmm.
2: So, uh, so that he taught
1: was, through his energy and his actions, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, they always say, you know, actions speak louder than words, and when right. you're with someone who right. has that energy of love, it just um, really is is really wonderful, and and uh, you you're just right. surrounded by it.
2: Absolutely. Doctor Larry said it really well. I I don't know if you saw the documentary, "Fierce Grace," which was done about six months after Ram Dass had his stroke. No. And uh, it's a really wonderful document. It's a Mickey Lemley film. And uh, in it, Dr. Larry Brilliant, who is a sort of world-renowned epidemiologist at this point, Maharaji, ha- he had been with Maharaji, and Maharaji had set him up to work with uh, who to eliminate smallpox mm. in India. So anyway, Dr. Larry in the film says, I mean, the miracle wasn't that maharaji loved that, loved us after all he's a saint that's his job <laughs> but, you know the miracle was that when we sat in front of him we loved everyone mm.
1: isn't that sad that we can't do that all mm. over the world you know isn't it you know i remember just you know sitting and you know watching the all the videos of maharishi when we were you know in college and in um, all of the times that we were told to all meditate together and that as we would all meditate together, that energy would change the cities that we were in. And mm-hmm. if, if we all did it, it would change the world. And, right. you know, it just it just seems like this kind of... Um, spirituality or this kind of meditation and prayer uh, a joint one prayer can can transform those who are you know disenfranchised and those Mm -hmm. who are you know that they are getting some kind of connection through isis or some terrorism group or or anything you know some Mm -hmm. some uh drug cartel something right you would just right. think that um, that somehow we could all make that change together mm-hmm. you know One would hope. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I remember that. I remember sitting in meditation, and, you know, I do this even with my prayer groups. We we say prayers about something, and then something wonderful happens. I don't know why mm-hmm. we just can't all do this together, you know. Right. I
2: thought the uh, Maharishi University, that's, where is it, in Utah? Uh, someplace, I remember. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. That, they were doing some sort of experiments like that. Yes, they were,
1: yeah. hmm and even Harvard was doing that. So right. there have been experiments like that that really do show that the crime in a particular city mm-hmm. goes down. So um, it's just a matter of educating and um, enlightening people to join in in that kind of, of um, you know, right. energy,
2: you know? Well, that was one of the things that I was really trying to show in the book, was not only what we all experienced when we were young and in India in the you know, early 70s, but also what became of these people and how they took that and, and brought it into the world. You know, like Mirabai Bush, who started the Center for Contemplative Mind, Right. You know, and is teaching lawyers and Monsanto how to meditate. You know, right, right. <laughs> and <laughs> things like and Google. Right. Um, you know how each person took what we received, sort of the seed that was planted in us, and found their own way of doing it. Whether it was hospice work or prison work or you know, working with the mentally insane, whatever it was. Right. Right. And and. Tries to bring that energy into each aspect of their life.
1: Yes, yes. So that feeling of being mm-hmm. with the guru that you had, you know, mm-hmm. um,
2: how has that lasted through the years? Uh, totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I wish some of the bliss would come back, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. but the the bhav, you know, which is the Hindu word for sort of the emotional feeling of something. Mm-hmm. And the bhav is one of devotion,
1: mm.
2: and it's like having experienced a being like Maharaji. It's humbling, mm-hmm. and uh, it's humbling and empowering at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a feeling that just hasn't gone away for all of us that were there, and everyone I spoke to. Who, you know, these everybody's in their sixties and. Seventies at this point, right, right. <laughs> you know, and you know we've had forty-five years since he's left his body, and and yet it's still sort of the center of everybody's heart. Hmm. So, do you all still communicate together? A lot of us do, you know, and even if we haven't communicated in years, when we get together, it's as if no time has passed whatsoever. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, you got a new name when, from, I the, did. from the guru. And, uh, um yes, And so w- tell us about that and what that new name means.
2: Okay. Um, well, I went to India as Barbara Bach. <laughs> yeah. That was my name. And Barbara means the barbarian or the stranger. Huh. And then Maharaji gave me the name of Parvati. Parvati in the Hindu mythology is the wife of Lord Shiva. Mm. So I thought that was a pretty good upgrade. Yeah, I was say. (laughs) Going from the barbarian or stranger to the wife of God. (laughs) That was a lot to live up to. (laughs) A lot to live up to. But uh, what we have found with with the names, with those of us who got names, because not everybody did, um, is that it, it sort of gave you an ideal to look up to, uh, an ideal to live up to, to learn that story, to see where you resonated with that that being's story and to see what parts of it, uh, you know, meant something to you and what you could work with. I mean, Parvati, in, uh, before she got married to Lord Shiva, had to do a lot of austerity to get there. Mm. And I went, oh, my.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is this my destiny?
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is my destiny. <laughs> but it was, very, it, it was very interesting to read about her. It's, it was also a way that pulled all of us into the stories of Hinduism, of right. the deities. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: And we all learned a whole lot because we had been named, you know, as part of that story.
1: You know, I I have to laugh because I've always named my dogs um, I have to very significant names, and my previous golden retriever that passed on a couple years ago was we named him Rado, and Rado is a word, um, a Viking word. It's actually mm. a viking rune and it means joyful oneness with the divine.
2: Oh, wonderful.
1: And he was like that. I swear mm. from the, you know, from the moment we got him and we named him, he was that. Right. And then um our new uh, puppy who's now 2 years old, we named him Jupiter. Mm. And um you know, I was into Roman gods too and, and uh we call him Jupey for short, but he does think that he is the king. <laughs> He's the Lord of the Sea. There he is. He really is. <laughs> is. And um boy, I'll tell you, he is uh, he is a little bit more strong minded than Rado was. Right.
2: Well <laughs> So you have to be careful is, what you right. name your child or your dog.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: But getting a new name, just like getting a mantra from the guru, yes. was a form of initiation. It was sort of like we're welded together. You yeah. know, yeah. It, it's, um, I mean, he used to say, you know, that once he grabbed hold of your hand, he never let go.
1: Hmm. Beautiful. So how, how did you reconcile what you learned in the East with living in the West?
2: Oh, Painfully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was hard I mean, we tried, you know, we would do meditation courses and But then eventually you do have to, like, you know, go to work And you have kids and you have, you know, life right. And um, it, it's always Well, first of all, we always did have each other In some way or another, you know, as sort of gadflies You know, like if anybody was going too far off the deep end any, In any which way mm-hmm. Um, I did it basically through working on, on books with people uh, and basically working on spiritually oriented books. Right. And that's what kept me focused in that direction, you know, on working on people's memoirs, working on, I did a lot of work in alternative health and, you know, various aspects of very non mainstream, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> right, right. Um, and just trying to do the best you can. I mean I love the Dalai Lama saying that his religion is kindness.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: And you know, the more we can be kind and we can love everyone in the sense of sort of seeing seeing the God in them, no matter who they are or what their religion or race or personality or their role is, right, right, right. You know, then, what else can we do? Yeah, that, that's the most important thing we can do
1: in loving everyone. And, and I mm. love that. I love that. And I love the name of the book, "Love Everyone."
2: Mm.
1: You know, doesn't it really start with having to love ourselves first? And isn't that not
2: always so easy?
1: <laughs> that's
2: what. That was the gift that we received being with Maharaji, Mm. is that if he could love us knowing absolutely everything about us, I mean, there's no secrets, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, and um, if he can love us that way, that there's a part of us that has to acknowledge that perhaps we are lovable. (laughs) Right, right. You know, and no matter, you know, heaven knows, we've all been through ups and downs in that realm. But at base, we did have that experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. When I think about a lot of the great teachers and, mm-hmm. and the the great prophets and the great gurus, you know, really wanting us to recognize that we are one with God, right? Mm-hmm. And if and yeah. we we need to love that God within us which is mm-hmm. within everybody, right? Right. And that's that's um that's so sad that we have such disparity when in religions when really and truly we're all one. You know, it's all right. one. There is that one. And so um that's Well you that's do
2: it through working with conflict resolution. Yes. Yes. You know, it's um it's the same thing. I mean if each one recognizes the other as being a soul, then where's the conflict going to go?
1: Right, right, that we are really one. and that We are really
2: one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: it's, uh, it's, it's something right. else. We have just a few more, a couple more minutes. Can you tell one of your favorite stories from the book of one of your favorite interviews?
2: Oh, my God. That's
1: <laughs> just take one. We have about two minutes, so it's not a lot of time.
2: All right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, one of my favorite stories is uh, from a girl who was in London, and she met Maharaji on a bus in London. Hmm. Uh, This old tramp got on the bus carrying a blanket under his arm. Maharaji always wore a plaid blanket. (laughs) This guy was carrying it under his arm. And uh, within a very short period of time, she was just graduating from college, Uh, She had to finish her courses. The next day somebody called her after she had this meeting on the bus with this Baba who then disappeared off the bus. (laughs) And uh, she's then found herself in India very shortly thereafter. Mm. But it's a great story. I mean, it's like you can be anywhere and anything can happen.
1: That's right. And it's just this Mm -hmm. divine timing, right? (laughs) It does. Yeah, I mean, some people call it
2: synchronicity, some people call it, you know, this or that. Yeah, yeah. coincidence,
1: yeah, coincidence, synchronicity. Well, we are just out of time for our divine timing. So thank you so much, and thank you for writing this wonderful book. Oh, well, thank you. And we will uh, let people know to go and read Love Everyone, The Transcendent Mm -hmm. Wisdom of Neem Karoli Baba told you mm-hmm. the stories of westerners it's wonderful and uh Par- parvati uh we will have people go to you said that we can find uh your book at Das's website correct yeah
2: it's ramdas r-a-m-d-a-s-s dot org okay and uh, they can pre-order it there i'll oh, well, order it there yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, or go to amazon yeah you
1: know? Terrific. Well, we will keep in touch.
2: And i if you come out
1: back to California, come and visit, okay? I sure will. Okay. okay. Thanks Thank so you. much, Mari. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been Bye. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks.
2: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.